Hi, everybody. How are you? Do our traditional wave if you're on your video there. That's good. That's great. See, see some uh, old friends, new friends, and and uh, new people. So uh, it's my pleasure to join you today. Um, I wanted to, you know, Andrew likes to start with a little bit of a, a riff, uh, as he calls it. So the thing that I've been thinking about and and very much encountering is the impact on people's mental health of this whole pandemic situation. And of course, we have more than just the pandemic. We have, um, it's like a trifecta. It's the uh, climate change and environmental extremes. Uh, my wife is uh, in Denver taking care of some family business and 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 in Boulder in, in the foothills where Andrew lives, uh, they had they had four feet of snow. Uh, I'm I'm here in Southern California, so extreme weather for here here is if it gets into the 30s. So we have haven't had that kind. But but we have fires, we have droughts, earthquakes. It, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy, and then all of the uh, insanely divisive politics. Uh, um, tribalism, lack of sympathy or empathy uh, that that hopefully will be changing a little bit, but it it's um, the protect to protectionism and nationalism that that goes with feeling threatened. We're, we're threatened by the pandemic. We're threatened by the climate. We're threatened by the politics. We're threatened and and what's happening now is being threatened by anybody who doesn't look like us. So um, it's, it's pretty scary. The and and then the social isolation that goes with the pandemic. Uh, I have a therapist friend who he said all the teenagers are either thinking about killing themselves or intentionally or doing it unintentionally through ODing. Uh, because they're trying to escape from this terrible reality, which is uh, um, something that we can address through our spiritual practice. If you're not spiritually inclined, and I know this group has a lot of people doing lucid dreaming, uh, and and the, the but the whole point of that is the the boundary between spiritual non-spiritual spiritual and psychological we're interested in ironically we we dream and work with lucid dreaming to be awake to be awake in our dreams from the buddhist point of view awake is what it's all about in fact you may not know this but the the word buddha which is the honorific title given to Siddhartha Gautama 2,500 some years ago. It's a Pali word that has the root is bud, which is to awaken, to wake up, and add H-A on the end. And it, it's one who has awakened. So in some of the uh, more formal translations, they call the Buddha the awakened one because that's what the word Buddha means, which, which means there's a historical Buddha, which is the Buddha. But the principle is we all can be a Buddha 
in the sense of one who wakes up. Now, when throughout our lives, most of the time, it's a very, very short period <laughs> when we are a Buddha. And I know Andrew's talked about this before, and it's a traditional expression. The difference between Buddhas and sentient beings are that Buddhas know that they're Buddhas. So um, the, the real point is that whatever we're doing, whether it's uh, religious, spiritual, psychological, the thing that we all have in common that we're here for is to wake up, to wake up in our dreams, uh, to wake up in this so-called reality, which is more like a dream, uh, and to work with our states of mind so that we can handle what's coming across to us and help other people handle what's coming across to them. So I, I like to start these sessions with a, a little bit of grounding and mindfulness practice to get ourselves settled down. So uh, if you can take a, a good, comfortable, but upright posture, we'll just do a couple of minutes and then we can do some discussion, question and answers. If you'd like, you can let your eyes close and do a little body scan from the top of your head all the way down slowly through your head and neck and shoulders, your upper body and arms, your lower torso, hips, legs, lower arms, all the way down to your toes. Just take a breath in and breathe out and sweep out any unnecessary tension, any tension you don't need to hold your posture as best you can. Whatever is left is left. And we usually think of our, our minds as behind our foreheads, but uh, that's just because all of our perceptions are right up our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, everything's right up there in front. Uh, but in actuality, we can let our minds drop and drop deeper into our body. Let, let your mind fall backward. I'm going to use a couple of metaphors. Let your mind fall backward from the front of your forehead down the back of your skull, the back of your throat. And you can fall back like you were falling back into a big, soft, easy chair or sofa. Breathe out and fall back. Let your mind drift down behind your throat, behind your chest, behind your solar plexus. And here's the other metaphor, like a leaf slowly drifting down to the bottom of a clear pond. Let your mind rest there a couple of inches below your navel, just in front of your spine in the deep core of your torso. It's quiet down there with a, a subtle movement as the breath goes in and out like gentle currents at the bottom of a pond. And with each out breath, let yourself sink deeper, sink into your seat, and imagine yourself sinking down and merging with the earth. And that's as grounded and settled as you can be. 
feel fully embodied. Now you can open your eyes gently and just be aware of your environment, of your body, of the breath coming in from your environment and filling your body and going out from your body and mixing with the environment. Whatever thoughts come to mind, notice them as best you can. Let them come and go. And be aware that your experience is your sense perceptions of external phenomena of sights, sounds, smells, internal phenomena of feelings. Taste is an interesting one. It's sort of both external and becomes internal. And thoughts, the internal experience, you perceive your thoughts. We talk about six sense perceptions in that way. All that is happening in the present moment. Thank you. Now, in the Zen tradition, there's someone responsible to, in the Zen monasteries, to ring the temple bell. And whenever they do, everything stops. And they're supposed to do it at random times. So if I can remember, I'm going to ring that gong at random times, and we'll just stop and take two or three breaths and then start again. So we always have the opportunity to come back, get grounded, settled, and present. So, uh, Andy, what do we have for questions today? Um, do you want to check the document and answer that one? Or um, it's nothing, nothing new at the moment, though they might start coming in. Okay, I'll start. This is, is Peter here from la last time he had a question. Yeah, I think he may be. Okay, he can, he can get on and we can discuss it if he'd like, but I'll, I'll read his question. If he, if he wants to refine it, that's fine. He said, at the risk of reifying emptiness, which I guess is making emptiness into a, a solid thing, is there some validity to thinking churning a vacuum so that what before was empty space, empty of anything, a vacuum, if you will, can one think of churning emptiness to bring about form or the non-empty? Are there spiritual, let me see the rest of this, are there spiritual parallels that one can make with churning of milk to produce butter? Well, there is a traditional uh, expression in the Buddhist tradition uh, that of um, churning the milk of experience to produce the butter of uh, enlightenment or true nature. I, I've always felt it was kind of a weird metaphor, but the idea is that in our ordinary experience, the butter's there in the milk, but we don't we can't get it unless we put in the work 
of meditation and practice and accumulating merit and all of the other things that are talked about uh, to produce the butter of enlightenment. So there, there's the metaphor, yes, they do that. But, but to answer your question, to start with, we don't talk about a vacuum so much. The idea of emptiness is not, it's very specific that it's not about dead space, not like outer space and, and a vacuum. Uh, when we talk about emptiness, we talk about potentiality, the potential out of which everything can arise. So I think a better analogy is potential energy that you can identify something as saying, well, here's potential energy, and then it transforms into kinetic energy or thermal energy or some other kind of energy from potential energy. And that's really more of, of what we're talking about. So the, the uh, aspects of experience, we talk about whatever is going on, its essence is empty. In other words, empty of thingness of solidity, everything's completely fluid. Its nature is luminous. In other words, uh, that potentiality becomes illuminated by the light of consciousness. And then its manifestation is unobscured or unobstructed. That there's nothing particularly blocking how that energy manifests. So I think I think that that's important to understand that it's it's not vacuum that suddenly becomes a thing. It is potentiality that then emerges. So Joe Peter has his uh, hand up. Hey um, Peter, let's let's dialogue a little. Yeah. Yeah. Hi Joe. Thanks very much for uh, responding to my, my question. Um, I understand what you're saying about the potentiality. If I can draw another analogy to how I how that question came up in my mind, it sort of connected a little bit to dreams, whereas where in a dream, to use a kind of a silly example, but in a dream, if I'm in a lucid dream, of course, if I'm if I'm flapping my arms here and I do it vigorously enough like in the dream mm -hmm. and i'm mixing into that action that that visualized action i'm mixing into it an intention an intention to rise from the ground mm -hmm. and i i wasn't able to express it but this this was the sense that i had that you mix intention with whatever it is that uh, you you are experiencing and that intention sort of replaces the materiality and actually causes you to rise or to appear to rise because it's all happening i guess through the mind if, if i'm correct if i'm if i'm making sense i i understand what you're saying uh yes the uh intention is what creates the the intention is kind of like the motivation uh, we talk and, and creates the atmosphere and the causes and conditions for the appearances to arise. For example, when doing meditation practice, what's recommended is always to start with an intention 
such as uh, I'm engaging in this practice in order to wake up myself more so that I can benefit others. And then that shapes the attitude of your practice that it becomes less self-centered and becomes more, um, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, more like interbeing and recognizes the interrelationship, the interdependent arising of all phenomena, the interrelationship of all beings in that way. So yes, the intention sets the atmosphere and then within that, the action appears or the manifestation arises. Yeah, thanks. That, that, that really uh, clear, clears it up pretty well. But I, just to, to, to summarize the question, the, the, the sense of uh, uh, my metaphor involving the churn, uh, does that have like a kind of validity to it? Like, can you see how one might think of it that way? That if I do some action with intention, that's providing the, that's the input into, into realizing it or reifying it, if you like. Yes, you know, and, and metaphors are metaphors. They only go so far. Right. And the what you were talking about was churning, was making potentiality into appearance. Yeah. But that potentiality doesn't have a form. The difference is milk has a form. Mm -hmm. and, then, <laughs> and then butter emerges from that form into a, a more refined form. Yeah. So it, it, it's close. It was a good shot. It was a really good shot. And, and it has that quality of um, uh, your usual question, if I may, of where does it all come from? How does nothing become something? Uh, and, and that is an eternal question. Uh, one that the Buddha said, um, you could contemplate that for a long time, but maybe you should work on yourself and and what you're going through right now, rather than wondering where it all came from in the so-called beginning. But we, we, we ameliorate that, that question of a first cause in the Buddhist tradition by, instead of saying once upon a time or in the beginning, we say since beginning less time, because no particular beginning or end. Great, thank you so much. Tim, in your opinion, what is the best and fastest way to wake up at this time? I've been trying, but progress seems to be slow. Well, um, one of my and Andrew's favorite quotes uh, from Milarepa, the great Tibetan poet saint, which I actually even used in my golf book, and that is hasten slowly and you will soon arrive. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give you another uh, teaching on that. And that is, if you think it's really near, um, have patience because it may take a long time. If you think it's far away, be encouraged because it's as close to you as the eyelash, uh, an eyelash on your eyeball. So um, progress seems to be slow Interestingly, there's, a, there's another uh, writing that was done by a guy named George Leonard called Mastery, the book called Mastery, and he was an Aikido expert as well. What he talked about 
was uh, the path of progress is not one of a smooth line diagonal up, you know? It's not even like following the stock market or something in that direction, but it is a, it's a plateau and then a sudden breakthrough and then a plateau and then a sudden breakthrough. And what happens is if you have to learn to love, what he says is learn to love the plateau, learn to love the training. And if you do that and just stay with it, then at a certain point, everything gels and there's a moment of immediate progress that you don't feel all the way along, but it's happening behind the scenes. It's gelling and then suddenly it appears. So um, I think that that's a better way to look at it uh, as, and, and if you can do that, then you find yourself with a, um, with more patience. So that's, that's one, that's one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect is to understand that when you practice meditation, for example, with the idea of a goal in mind, that actually interferes with it. So it's rather paradoxical to the ideal way to progress is to not need to progress and say, in, you know, <laughs> um, the uh, Suzuki Roshi talked about it saying, you know, before you attain enlightenment, it's something special. When you get there, it's nothing special. And he said the, the, the practice of Zazen isn't, or meditation, Zen meditation, isn't to get you someplace else. The enlightenment is already there in the practice. And, and if you understand that, then you're not practicing to be something other than what you are, but you're practicing to discover what you have been all along. That is what you wake up to. And of course, it's important to have a sense of humor about it. Like my one of my favorite cartoons by a, a, a cartoonist named Gay and Wilson, which shows two monks sitting next to each other, an older one and a younger one. And the younger one says, what happens next? And the older one says, there's nothing next. This is it. So I hope that I hope that that's helpful. And uh, when you say the best and fastest way, uh, again, it is to use whatever technique. Um, I'm obviously a Buddhist and think that mindfulness and awareness practice is the best technique. But whatever technique that you can use uh, that, that resonates with you to wake up. And, and I want to caution you against what I would describe as um, moron techniques. And that's where you're not really digging, you're not really getting into what's behind things, you're just adding more on, on top of what's already covering up what's really there. Uh, one of my favorite metaphors for that is, I, is the signature story in, in um, several of my books. And that is, 
a gold statue covered in clay. And we need to gently remove the clay and reveal that statue that was there all along, not try to gold plate it and cover the clay with gold to produce a gold, a new gold statue. So that's really the, and you, and you don't smash it with a hammer to try to get the clay off. You have to gently remove it and appreciate the gold that's there all along. And if you look carefully, the clay never covers the whole thing perfectly. There are always cracks where that gold shines through. And that's wakefulness that's available to you anytime. We just cover it over because we move so fast. And sometimes when we see it, we don't recognize it. So that's why dream practice is important as well as daytime practice of mindfulness to recognize those moments, those flashes as insight into our true nature rather than what was that? I hope that's helpful. Um, I think Myra had her hand up before the next question came in. So let's go to her, shall we? Yes, um, thank you. I always love that meditations that you do, and especially that leave and the falling back is such a visual um, that is, is, is very good. So I have to tell you that I've been using it a lot and teaching it to other people. But basically, going back to the first question um, regarding the, um, the possibility of the intention um, of flapping your hands in the dream and the causality that maybe that's what causes the flying or the other causality. And I think one of the most difficult things to understand is that one action and the other one do not have a relationship that one seat opens and the other seat open, they appear to be continuum, but it's not continuum, but it's a kind of effervescent nature of the situation. Is, am I explaining myself before I ask the question? Yes. Um, okay. Go ahead. Yes. I was listening to the phone. Oh, yes. I'm trying to disconnect it because I'm alone in the office and they don't stop. So I'm okay, turn it off. I just so, so here's what happens. It's very interesting. Uh, I want to do a little thing about sense perceptions. Um, our sense perceptions are uh, um, more mono than stereo, that we we go one place at a time. So my mind was going back and forth, bell, words. Bell, words, bell, words. So I heard every other okay. sentence, and then there was a bell, and then there was another <laughs> sentence. So, so it's almost the universe. Somebody doesn't want you to answer me. I think it was well, really no, no, quiet no. for a half hour. Well, <laughs> no, I think I think they 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 want you to um, uh, try again more briefly. Okay, so the. To it up, things appear to be con in a continuum, and we perceive them dependent on causes and condition. And maybe we perceive them by our predispositions and, and our karma. Right. Okay, so now, what's your question. Yes. So it is, I say it beautifully, but it's one of the most difficult things to understand because our perception of one thing seems to be linear, a consequence of the other. Mm hmm. 
And that is what a good meditator may be able to one day begin to perceive the break in the continuum or maybe the formation of the visual of that feels real and independent in solid. Um, so going back to the initial. Can I, can I yes. comment on that for a second? Yes. Okay. So uh, you may be creating an artificial distinction there. Okay. Instead, you want to think of one thought to the next. And in fact, we even talk about one lifetime to the next, if you believe in that kind of continuity of consciousness, as a flame moving from candle to candle. Is it the same flame or is it a different flame? Did the flame on the one candle cause the flame on the next candle? Yes and no. And in fact, when, when we try to pin it down to which part is yes and which part is no, then we say neither yes nor no. We want to cut the conceptual attachment to things being a particular way. So to say one thought causes the next thought, not true. To say one thought doesn't cause the next thought, not true. true. There's some combination. And what is said in the Buddhist tradition is that only, only a fully realized Buddha can see all of the causes and conditions that come together to produce any one effect. So we have our best guess of it and what it appears. And the whole point of view is to have a sense of humor about that and have a sense of humor about that. This is how it appears to me. And as soon as you say, this is how, I, I, I was talking with somebody and we were, we were having a bit of a, uh, uh, a disagreement about who said what. And I said, well, you said this. And they said, well, but you said that. And I said, no, I said this. And he said, well, I said that. Well, I thought you said this. And then I said, hey, what if we, if we both use the word thought before the said? Say, well, I thought you said this. Well, I thought you said that. And I thought you heard me say this. And I thought you heard me say that. Now we've just relaxed the whole thing and not taken either one of us as right or wrong and either one of us as serious, as solid, because this is how what you said appeared to me but I understand it was just an appearance. And this is how what I said to you appeared to you, but I understand it was just an appearance. Now let's, let's dance together with that appearance, those appearances. So one quick one. Continue, when, continue. sorry to interrupt. No, no, that, that was perfect. And I would rerun everything you said many times. Uh, the, the sea of potentiality and possibilities, how does it relate to causes and conditions? Okay, so the potentialities, let's, I, I had wanted to talk about this as well. Okay. The potentiality is the uh, nature of our mind. And mind is the nature of our mind, it's all the same. It is potentiality to know and potentiality to feel. Those are the two. The metaphor for that is the light of the sun 
which has the quality, the potential to provide light. That's the knowing part. The illuminate, that mind, consciousness illuminates the objects of consciousness. And the, the rays of the sun also produce warmth. They have the potential to warm. So we have the potential to feel and generate and experience warmth. When we um, apply those in a confused way, it leads to confusion and negative emotions. Active ignorance, not just ignorance, but but misunderstandings and and and, and confusions, uh, negative knowledge and negative emotions. When we purify those and raise them to the highest virtues of humanity, they are what we call wisdom and selfless love. So the capacity for wisdom and the capacity for selfless love are our greatest inherent capacities. Now, those are the ultimate, you could say, causes, those are the conditions, this potentiality. And then the causes have to do with how, we, what karma we bring, what experiences we have, how we relate to those, and to the extent that our, our intention is towards wakefulness rather than towards um, what we could call the setting sun, right? the the rising, the 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 uh, enlightening sun, rather than the the heading towards darkness. So I hope that that's helpful. No, that's perfect. It's beautiful. Thank you, Joseph. I'm you sure welcome. other people. <laughs> Thank you. So Andy, should we go to the next one, Virginia? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. I asked Andrew a couple of weeks back about time. How ironically, even though the focus is on another or others, the most benefit is for the practitioner. It makes sense that this is the case, the irony. Um, is there benefit, though, for that other or those others for whom one is focusing on sending and receiving? If so, how does this benefit reach or impact that other? Well, that, that's a great question. Okay. So, the one thing that we know is, and Tung Len, for people who haven't been doing the meditation group, uh, is a Tibetan word that has two parts. I can't remember which part the G goes with. It may go with both, Tong and, I think it's Tong and then Len. It means sending and taking. And it is the practice of uh, taking on uh, and gathering into ourselves in a certain way that that doesn't pollute ourselves, but that we are that we gather in the negativity and uh, the suffering and unhappiness and and illness of others that instantly transforms through our nature of wakefulness into the opposite positive energy that we then radiate out. So it's gathering and radiating, gathering negative and radiating positive. And of course, from the, uh, in the Buddhist tradition, we talk about it as going against the grain of ego, because our habitual pattern is, I want to get rid of what's bad and take in only what's good. 
And so we're reversing that and saying, I'm going to take in what's bad and transform that and radiate out to others what's good. Now, that's a benefit because we rouse our own compassion, which is beneficial, both scientifically, they show meditating on compassion actually benefits one physically and, and, and our brain chemistry, but it also um, generates uh, whatever we have in mind as positive karma, as uh, good deeds, as virtue. So, yeah, we get the benefit from that. And of course, in the Buddhist tradition, once we finish that practice and gain the benefit, then we also want to dedicate that benefit to share it with others. So it's always, it's this, it's this lovely cycle of uh, um, uh, continuing to amplify the benefit, share it with others, and it comes back to us, which the, we then radiate out again, more and more and more. Now, can others receive that? Well, in one sense, you could say it depends on our uh, spiritual prowess, but we don't even have to go there. To whatever extent we connect with others, we have to understand that um, beings are like tuning forks, that our energy is picked up by others. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but a tuning fork, if, if you if you bang a tuning fork uh, on something and it creates a tone and you hold another tuning fork next to it, the other one starts vibrating. I think at the same frequency, it's something like that. But uh, strings on a piano, anything like that, when there's a vibration, something that's able to vibrate nearby vibrates at the same frequency. So, um, one thing that we were taught uh, about working with people psychologically, that when you're in the presence of somebody who's in psychological stress or turmoil, tune into your own feelings. What are you feeling? And chances are you're picking up that same vibration. And you can check and say, are you feeling, you know, sometimes I'm talking with somebody and I feel like, well, I don't know what to say next. And I go, oh, okay, I can trust that. And I say, are you feeling like you don't know what to do next? And they go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So, so you can pick up that vibe. And in the same way, what you're radiating out gets picked up by others. I, I'm sure you've experienced, you may have experienced that in a group setting that um, if something's going on and one person feels particularly calm and, in con and says, I think I got this, you calm down. If everybody's freaking out, you freak out. So, so we pick up other people's energy. So when you're doing this practice for someone that you care about, um, especially when you're near them, and we talked about this in the last session, someone going to visit his dying grandmother, you need to generate the feeling of, I'm okay. So you don't have to worry about me. Ironically, that's the thing that we need to generate when we're with a dying person. <clears throat> I'm okay, you can let go. And this energy of, and being willing to let go of them. And if you can let go of them, they pick up the let go-ness of your energy and they can let go more easily.
So the last version of this, which is very, very subtle, you know, I think there's some, some reference to this. I, you know, Andrew's better with the references. I don't know the reference, but it's like uh, the, 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 the butterfly effect that uh, the wings of a butterfly flapping impact everything in the galaxy, something, something like that. that, that there's even at the subtlest level cause and effect. So if you're generating that, if you're gathering in that negativity and positive and sending out the positive energy, it may have an immeasurably small but existent effect on that person, hopefully more. That's all we can hope for. So um, I hope that answers that. Uh, Virginia, if you're there and you want to follow up. Don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you know if she. Um, OK, sounds uh, good. Uh, next is uh, is potentiality emptiness. Potential, potential, once potentiality has expressed as appearance is that form. Um, uh, yes, potentiality and emptiness, you could say, are the same thing. In other words, it's empty of thingness, so it's empty of any kind of limitation. Uh, in the Buddhist tradition, there are two schools that developed uh, called Rongtong and Shentong. And the Rongtong school is empty of self. And that says, there's nothing there that you can call an individuated, unique, special, uh, independent self. And so it um, tends toward that sterile emptiness. So the Shentong school arose as a contrast to that, and it's called empty of other, but what it means is it's empty of it's empty of self and empty of anything other than Buddha nature, the nature of wakefulness. So it doesn't posit as it as such a dead emptiness. Now the wrong tongue people would say, well, we didn't mean a dead emptiness, but you are creating this Buddha nature that's like an ego. And the Shentong people said, yeah, but we don't mean it as an ego. It's not a thing. And the idea is that if you're tending towards eternalism and this uh, solidity of making Buddha nature reifying or making it into a thing, then you need the wrong tongue to say there's nothing there that you can hold as a thing. And if you're tending towards nihilism and saying nothing you know, there's nothing there, so why bother? Then you need the Shentong and say, no, but there is, there's this, this uh, wakefulness that that's not a thing, but endowed with all the supreme qualities of potentiality for wakefulness. So that's the emptiness and potentiality part. Now, once the potentiality has expressed in appearance, well, the, the transition is that the potentiality out of that arises energy, which then forms into an appearance. And we talk about it because of our limited language as a sequence. Well, you have the potentiality and then suddenly it forms into this amorphous ephemeral, you know, energy and then that solidifies into a thing. 
it doesn't quite happen like that. It's a um, simultaneous progression. So there is this sense of pop, 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 but it all happens simultaneously. So it's pop. And that doesn't make sense logically, where we, in, lo in ordinary logic, if it's simultaneous, it's not a progression. If it's a progression, it's not simultaneous. Fortunately, we're not limited by ordinary logic. Uh, someone says, uh, what makes the potentiality express? Um, that's one of those questions that there's no maker behind it that's pushing it. And there's no real answer to that. It's just how things seem to be, that potentiality appears. You could go back to say, you know, um, what made the Big Bang happen? But again, there's no first cause from that point of view. And um, if you take the practice as uh, looking at how things arise, you start to tune into and ultimately can rest in that potentiality as well as the luminosity, as well as the appearance and tune into all three. Usually all we have is connection with the appearance, which we take to be a thing. Um, Laura said, like the tuning, the, you like the tuning fork. That's good. That helps with the tongue. And, and, and Candy added, if you're not looking at the chat, mirror neurons, which is interesting, which, which is how people, part of how people learn that there are neurons in our brain that pick up what's going on out there. Uh, I have an interesting experience with that. Uh, sorry for the golf metaphors, but that's part of what happens in life. Um, uh, someone's gripping their club too tightly and I'll, I'll, I'll pull on it and pull them over. And I want them to, you know, and th this is where Buddhism and golf match, match up. I want you to hold it not too tight and not too loose. And there's an old metaphor in the Buddhist tradition of a musician who asked the Buddha how to hold his mind. And the Buddha said, like you would tune the strings of your instrument, not too tight, not too loose. Okay just but just so. So I would hold the club and have them pull it out of my hands and say, this is how I want you to feel. Well, by the way they pulled it out of my hands, they were able to then hold it the same way so that when I pulled it, it came out with just the same amount of friction, not too tight and not too loose. How did that happen? That's the mirror neurons, that's the tuning fork kind of thing that we pick up from other people. Um, butterfly effect, yeah. You can look in the chat for Virginia's comment on that. Uh, next question. I don't see any more. Do you see any, Andy? Um, no real questions. There are a few more comments if you wanted to address. Um, I saw you saw Virginia's comment. 
uh, Tanya also had a comment. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have a great idea. Mm -hmm. See, wasn't that nice? So this is what I've tried to practice, which I, I think would be helpful. Any kind of interruption, any kind of pause where you have to wait for something, that's your signal to do a little mindfulness practice, do a little breathing awareness practice. If you come up to a red light, leave your eyes open for sure. Otherwise, your meditation might be interrupted by the car horn behind you. But there's an opportunity instead of thinking about, okay, when's it going to turn? When's it going to turn? When's it going to turn? I got to go. I got, oh, red light. Nothing I can do about that. My microwave provides me either a 30 second or a one minute and sometimes a minute and a half meditation. Um, and if you can remember to, when the phone rings, take one breath. If you hear a text, take three. You don't have to respond right away. It's a text. So any kind, and, and if you're on hold, if you're put on hold, how irritating is that to be put on hold? Flip it, say, wow, thank you. Uh, can you hold for a minute? Yeah, thanks. And then while you're on hold, I was watching a show um, on uh, Prime Video or something like that, and it gave, you, it gave me the option to watch it free with commercials or pay six bucks to watch it without commercials. So I said, yeah, I can. So what I figured out to do, I watch it with commercials, and then it says, it, it says you'll return to your video in 60 seconds. So I put it on mute and I lower my gaze and I count, oh, about seven or eight breaths. And then I check. And usually there's only, it says, it'll go to video in five, four, three, two, and hey, thank you. So I get to meditate for anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds in between segments of the show I'm watching. You can always flip it that way. Lemons, lemonade. Now you're speaking my language, Joe. <laughs> we got um, that space gave uh, way for two more questions. We have uh, Wendy and then Barbara. Okay. Uh, I want to address Tanya because she was on here already. Emptiness in equals in infinite relativity of Robert Thurman. Sure, the infinite is the potentiality. The relativity is that uh, what in the Buddhist tradition we call interdependent arising causes and conditions that bring things up. So when is Wendy first? Hi, Wendy. Hi. I have a first I want to thank you so much for the meditation class. Uh, the Tonglin practice has come in really handy for me last night for my for my own clearing. Good. I, I had uh, you know, unwanted thoughts. And I found I could do that practice with them to 
actually welcome them in rather than trying to get rid of them. Yeah, that's that. Can I make a clarification for everybody else if you weren't there? One of the things in Tonglen is you can also do it for yourself right. so that you gather in your unwanted feelings, thoughts, uh, emotions, um, illness, and into a uh, that place of light and wisdom in your heart center that represents that potentiality of wisdom and compassion. And then it transforms and radiates out to yourself that cool moonlight of kindness that fill that that pacifies the torment of struggle. It was amazing. It worked much better than trying to get rid of the stop the thoughts. It, it was wonderful. But that's not my question. My question is about devotion. Um, I've experienced devotion at times in my life, but I find it very hard to feel devotion towards something abstract. Like I could feel devotion towards my teacher as a human being or another person, uh, but I'm I'm not don't know how to generate it for even the Buddha. You know that's abstract to me. Can you address that? Uh, I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, in Tibetan, the word for devotion, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it's mu and gu. It's two syllables, put two words put together, mu gu. Um, and it's uh, one means appreciation or admiration, and uh, the other means longing. So when you talk about uh, devotion to a teacher, you had admiration for their qualities of embodying enlightenment, mm -hmm. of wakefulness. And you have longing to be like that. So in a certain way, you could say the, the simplest saying of devotion is, I want to be like that. That's what you're devoted to. If you're devoted to a cause, you want to be part of that and you want the fruition of that. So you're not really devoted to the cause, you're devoted to the accomplishment that the, of the cause. You know, if your cause is civil rights, you are devoted to a world of equality. You, you appreciate and 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 venerate and hold uh, in the highest esteem the ideal of equality. And so and then the longing part is, I'm moved to try to get that to be. So when we're talking about the spiritual path, we have veneration and and hold in high esteem the expression of that and of enlightenment and then a longing to be like that ideally so that we can benefit others now you have that as an embodied being in a teacher but if you think of the buddha and everything you've ever heard about the buddha all of those qualities of enlightenment are there and you admire those and 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 hold them in high esteem. Otherwise, why would you be on this path? 
And so because you hold them in high esteem, you are devoted to being like that. I mean, that's what the path is. I want to be like that. That's devotion. And so you can even have a devotion to a non-embodied quality, which is your true nature. That is the essence of wisdom and compassion. And I have devotion to that, which means I have a longing to follow the path that will lead to the full flowering or full blossoming of those qualities in my being and ideally in the being for all beings to whatever my capacities are. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Thank you. And, and it brings up another question. Go for which it. Which is, uh, I had this idea that I wasn't supposed to want to be any different than I am. No, you no, you don't want to be different than you are. You want to be who you true what you truly are. Right. What you're being now is different than what you are. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I can have longing for uh, being who I truly am. Yeah. Yeah. I want. I have. Yeah. You know. Okay. Are you the gold or are you the clay? Right. If you, you are the gold. And so, but, but can you manifest that gold and benefit others as well as you would like? No. So you use desire in the elevated form of desire. And that's what devotion is. It's the elevated form of desire as an aspiration to remove the clay so that you can be the gold, which will be of so much more benefit to yourself and to others, you know? And, and one of the, uh, I've got a, I'm gonna add a little humor in that we think, oh, well, eventually I can be the gold and be a benefit to others. But you see, just stepping on the path, you're already doing that. Because I, I did an introductory class on meditation and they said, they said uh, well, when will I get the benefits? I said, oh, the benefits are instantaneous. You see, because those 20 minutes that you sit down and just be with your breath and your experiences are 20 minutes that you've taken yourself out of circulation and you're not causing trouble for yourself or other people during those 20 minutes. So instant benefit right there. Mm -hmm. That's just a little humor, a little meditation humor. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Barbara. Hello. Oh, hi. Okay. Yes, I am there. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I came in late. I got hung up on a health insurance phone call. So I don't know if this has any relevance to anything that you've been talking about, but I have been following a lot of, of Andrew's teachings, especially about death and after death and Bardo and so forth. And I recently watched a film called Afterlife, which was, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Or, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was kind of a documentary thing. It was a lot of people talking about near-death experiences and people who have uh, interviewed people who have near-death experiences. 
right. and their near-death experiences were nothing like what we learn in terms of what happens after death in Tibetan teachings. Um, and often it involved Jesus and God and a lot of light. Um, and so, you know, do you have an afterlife experience that matches your belief system? I mean, it's hard to know then what, what's the deal? <laughs> I was watching a movie called Soul. Oh, right. It's an animated feature and they have people on the track to this big white light, right? You know, and right. now well, yeah. I want to be—I want to be clear that I'm not speaking from direct personal experience because I don't remember last time I died, and I haven't had a near-death experience. Um, probably the closest to it is a—you know—a car accident where time slows down, right? And yeah. time. Time really changes. Okay. And you can say, well, time doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Because what is time other than how we're experiencing the progression of our experiences one to another? And, you, you know, how is it that my actual life was in slow motion, like changing a TV screen, <laughs> you know, a movie on TV and watching it in slow motion? how did that happen? Okay, so it's a different kind of experience. Now, what is taught is that there are stages in the after life experience. And one of them <clears throat> involves replaying things in your life so that you would still have this access to your past experiences that would then create very, very dreamlike situations. Uh, because basically you are a mental existence without, you've separated your connection to a physical body. Well, what happens when you're dreaming? You're a mental existence and your, your physical body it has sleep paralysis down there, right? And you're out, out and about. Well, it's kind of the same thing. And where do your, where does the content of your dreams come from? Your life experiences. So it wouldn't surprise me that people going through the near death experience are the, and, and I would, um, I think that they often say they have an out of body experience, right? Yes. And if they have an out of body experience, it's dreamlike. And if it's dreamlike, the content is drawn from their experience. Now, the light part is what is very, very common to almost everybody. And that is this bright, light that they talk about that is um, a reflection of our our awakened mind without any trappings without any curtains and that can be as um jarring or startling hang on a second 
that can be as jarring as startling as you being asleep and someone waking you up and having a high powered light right in front of you like this. It's like, whoa, what's that? And there's a moment of shock. And traditionally what they say is, if you recognize it, you go, hey, that's who I really am and head for that. And if you don't, you try to cover up and, 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 you, and you turn away from it and see duller lights of different colors that you're attracted to. And then you go to those and that starts the path beyond that moment of clear light experience toward a, a, a rebirth in some realm of existence. Now, as I said, that's what I've been taught. I don't personally remember that journey. But that, that would account for what you're saying of some of them having content as well as light. Does that make sense? Kind of, but the content I, is, is always, the content is generally Christian based. Are they Christians? Probably. I mean, some may be, some may not be. So that's oh. why they're seeing, or they're yep. talking. To, they're talking to somebody they know who already had died, who's telling them something. You're saying that's part of the dream experience, or the fact that they're, they see it as as speaking to to Christ or to God or. Right. Right. Yep. Well, who would you want to be if you're in that situation? Who would you want to be talking to? <laughs> So after that happens, then they go through the then they go through the Tibetan stages of the bardo. I mean, I. Okay, hang on a second. All right, now the Tibetan stages that they describe don't mean everybody becomes a Tibetan. No, I know. I said they go through those stages of the bardo. I mean, basically, it's like at what point is this happening to everyone, or it happens to you according to your belief system, or it. Um, I, I would be really curious to see if an Orthodox Jew finds himself talk him or herself talking to Jesus. That, that would be, would, it would be a surprise. That would be interesting. You see, now and why would it be a surprise? Because that's not part of their belief fabric. The D and and what would we get to when you get into that situation? Where are you going to go? You're going to go to your deepest held beliefs. The, the ones that you would rely on if everything else fails. You know, if you, you, you know, the, um, the people who are in the most horrific life situations and they say, I just put my faith in the Lord. Well, that's because that to them, that's the deepest, most secure place they can be. It, it makes sense. And then, and, you, and what I'm saying is everybody goes through, not everybody, you know, people may get that, that the light and uh, not go through those stages, but the ones who go through stages of a mental body experiencing things in a dreamlike way, the content will be based on the content that they're bringing to it. Now, what I don't know is whether the content includes past life content, not just the most recent past life, but other past lives. You got me on that one. 
But from the Tibetan point of view, there's a consistency of what beings go through. But it's it's consistent, but it doesn't mean it's exactly the same for everybody. Mm. Yeah, I'm still trying to, I'm, I don't know. I'm still trying to, to get my head around all of this because when people, when teachers, Tibetan teachers are, or Vajrayana teachers are talking about this, it's like very definite. This is what's going to happen. This is what this happens. If you don't, haven't done this, that's what that's going to happen. Actually, at the, with all of these teachings, I've become actually more worried about death than I had been before because I'm not realizing emptiness in this lifetime. And I'm not, and, and also just, I guess, again, as I was saying, it's like, who, I mean, they seem very definite that this is what happens. <laughs> so what are the people, so it's, and yet it also seems like, and yet, you know, it also seems like what happens kind of depends on what you already believe. So um, the content of what happens kind of depends on, definitely depends on what you already believe. The process of what happens is similar, but it's not so rigid. And I want you to stick with one of the words you used. It seemed like they were saying, but that's what you were hearing. They might not have been quite as definite as you were hearing them as definite. The teachers? That... Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll ask Andrew. And, and, <laughs> he yeah. seems pretty definite. <laughs> uh, Andrew? Yeah, he seems yeah. really definite a lot of the time. <laughs> ask him how solid his words are. They're words. They're feelings, and it comes across as definite. You will definitely experience blah, 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 okay. But will you experience it exactly this way? Impossible, because we're all unique. You'll experience it in your way. Now, I want to address what you said of you being more worried about death because you haven't had that. Uh, ironically, um, that's one of the, in the Buddhist tradition, they say that, that's the spur that that gets you moving towards <laughs> towards practice is yeah, fear is fear that, of has, that hasn't better, happened that hasn't I, happened in quite that way i better but i'm saying this is traditional they say right. i you know um i better get going because it comes without warning and i i i better be more ready than i feel now yeah. uh, at the same time just understand that nothing you have done is wasted and and think okay um yeah death can be a fearful and and probably will be a fearful experience um and i'm gonna do my best to prepare for it as best i can with a sense of humor that i've done the best i can and let's see where we end up mm. spin the wheel Okay. Good. Good luck, and and I hope that I hope that I hope that I hope that it inspires you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and all you have to do is sit one more minute a day, and and you'll be better prepared. Okay. Okay. If nobody else has any questions, can I ask one other thing? I, I want to share something that came okay. in the chat, 
a ma Marilyn wrote a math mathematician saw a 20 sided figure in math, the most perfect figure. Huh? I guess he believed in he or she believed in math. Uh, does anybody else want want to jump in? I think, uh, Barbara, if you have another question, you can follow up. Okay. The, the other thing has to do with, at one point I was, I had, I took ketamine, which was supposed to be a therapeutic situation, but it wasn't terribly therapeutic. I mean, it wasn't very much supported. What is and, ketamine supposed to do? I'm not a, a medical oh, doctor. It's supposed to help with, it's kind of like, it's not exactly a, a hallucinogen, hallucinogen, but it's what it's, it's the only thing that's a, approved for, uh, for uh, psychological, uh, for drug assisted psychotherapy. Hmm. Um, okay, okay, good. And during, and my experience was very dark and I felt like in pretty fearful and I felt like I kept falling into a hole and deeper and deeper and part of me what came to mind is like this is what it's going to be like when I die and it made me very much more fearful okay so that's I guess also my, tempering my, this yeah my only similar experience to that is uh kind of getting into a a downer or bad trip on acid, which I haven't done recently, by the way. I, you know, my great. This was when I was in my twenties, so over forty years ago, um, and uh, uh, and yeah, it it feels like that. Now, the re why would you associate that with death? It just, that's just what entered my that's mind. That's the that's thought that entered my mind. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a, a rhetorical question. Okay. <laughs> but, but both, if you knew, I was wanting to ask, but if it just, if that's what came up, you, okay. So another um, metaphor is how we work with our minds. Okay. And uh, Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche, one of the great teachers of the last century, uh, um, I'm sure it was said many other times, but he said, uh, do you relate with your mind like a lion or like a dog? And what he meant was a, when a, a, a person throws a stick at a dog, the dog chases the stick. When a person throws a stick at a lion, the lion chases the person. Right. Okay. So, so the stick is something that arises in your mind. Your mind is the person, the stick is what arises. If you relate to it like a dog, you chase the, the, what ari the arisings. Hmm. Relate to it like a lion, you look to the mind. Where did that come from? So you, if you take those, those experiences and say, oh, oh, I'm afraid that's what death's gonna be like. But if you say, okay, now why would I associate that with death? What was my mind doing there? What is it about my mind and my experience that would say, oh, that, that must be what death is like? Let's look back. Okay. Fear, 
what are my fears? Where do the fears come from? Are the fears this quality of darkness, this feeling of being lost, this feeling of no security, no rep? You see, and you unpack, you 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 peel the onion back that way, rather than just say, "Oh, that's what it felt like. I better run from that." Does that make sense? Do, do you understand what? It I, does. It does. It may, not make, it may not make sense, but do you understand where I'm going with it? I do understand where you're going. The only part of that that I would say in there is that these drugs are supposed to be designed to help you have insights and to would, help you and to help you that. and to help you feel more comfortable with with death and the dying process. So, I would so. ask for my money back. <laughs> <laughs> I'd ask for my experience back. Well that's a little no, you can use the experience. Say okay. okay. I didn't get what I but I didn't get what I thought I, what I, I, I didn't get what I bargained for. You know that expression? Right. I didn't get what I bargained for. I thought I was going to get this. I, oh, I got something else. Okay. Again, lemons, lemonade. What do I do with that that I can use to learn from? Well, one thing is don't buy those drugs. <laughs> yeah. The other is, what did I learn from my experience about my mind and where I go and where what I'm afraid of? Because okay. the more you illuminate that, the less you're afraid of it. My, my favorite thing is, uh, a metaphor for that is the, um, the Wizard of Oz, when the, in the movie, when the big giant green head scares them silly. You know, I'm, I think that I saw a puddle under the cowardly lion on the floor there, but I'm, I'm not sure, but he was really scared. <laughs> Sorry, just, just a joke. Okay, so, so then they saw the man, little man behind the curtain pulling all the strings and everything, and it was just an appearance. It was just lights and sound and smoke. The face on the screen didn't change at all. In fact, it got worse. It got bigger and louder and scarier. Were they scared? Not at all. They saw what was behind the appearances. That's the value you can take from that. Okay. Let me look behind those appearances. And if I see that those were just arisings in my mind like a dream, oh, maybe I don't have to be so afraid of them. Or warnings. Or that cat. Or don't be afraid of that cat either. Um, yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's wanting my attention. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, here we are. So I'm doing my waiting meditation. And we're close to closing. What time do we usually close, Andy? 
We can close at any time now. These things usually go between an hour and an hour and a half, depending on how many questions there are. So, so we'll uh, <clears throat> we'll go just another few breaths, and if anybody has a question, you can raise your hand or put it in the into the chat, and if not, then we'll say goodbye. And I, I did want to let people know. Um, I think I'll put this in the chat. Um, if you go to my website and and I I don't have the I don't know the I think there's a slash. I'm going to try this. It'll be something like this. Um you can get information on when I do my own meditation classes, which are like uh, for 45 minutes every couple of weeks. So you're more than welcome. And thank you all so much. I love, I, I love Evelyn. Can Joe put up his lemonade stand? Yeah, Joe, will you post your website? Yeah, I think I did. I'm going to double check this. Okay. Just hang on one second for me. And and let me double check the what I just put up. It's a it's a particular page on my website. Sure. Oh, well, I could just say really quickly. Um, tomorrow we're releasing Andrew's interview with uh, Krishna Das. Uh, oh. so, yeah, be on the lookout for that. A musical extravaganza. It was fun. Um, and Saturday we're watching on Mulholland Drive for movie night, so you're all invited. Oh, I have to correct mine. Hang on one second. I'm going to correct it. I put I put slashes where there where there should have been hyphens. So let me do it, and then I'll post it. There we go. Okay. Nice. Now I see it. My pleasure, it's a thrill for me to be able to be here. I, I, I hope that I have um, clarified some things. I, I hope I didn't add to your confusion. Anything, any mistakes I made were purely mine. Anything that, uh, wisdom that I passed on all came from my teachers uh, through me, to me and through me. Um, and, and one of the things that my teacher said about when I, when I was supposed to teach, he said two things. One is, always be willing to say, I don't know. And the other is, it's okay to leave people a little confused, but don't leave them with a misunderstanding. So I, I truly hope that I have not left you with any misunderstanding. So thank you. Thank you, Joe. What, what I traditionally do, and you can share with me as much as you'd like, is dedicate the benefit of the session. So I'm gonna recite it the way I do. I'll leave some space, it's three phrases. And you can join me if you, repeat after me if you'd like, or do it in any way that you would like and you feel comfortable with. May the practice we have just done be of benefit to others as well as ourselves.
And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous or want to cultivate generosity, you can say, may the practice I've just done be of benefit to others even more so than myself. So thank you very much. I'll stay on uh, for a little bit. If people have a, something individual that has come up or I'll, I'll read the chats, uh, I'm, I'm not in any hurry. I'm hastening slowly. Hey, Joe, you want to talk to uh, Grandpa's iPhone? I think it's uh, John. Yeah, and, and Tim, I, it, Tim asked which book has the gold statue image? Uh, both Zen Golf and my diet book, the best diet book ever, they both have that. So uh, I don't know that anybody answered that. Let me, I'll write back to Tim. I think John's on, uh, got the audio now. Okay, so Tim, if you're still here, I'm gonna write back to you. <clears throat> you can find all of my books on my Amazon page. Okay. Hi, Joe. Hi. Can you see me? or it doesn't matter but grandpa grandpa yeah sorry that's john my phone never got renamed but <laughs> i get <laughs> i'm getting this um uh a correlation that i just wanted to double check with you if you know um illumination and emptiness i'm kind of associating the um in Taoist tradition that the illumination is is the male um and the number uh one and that um the uh emptiness is uh the female do you kind of agree with that um in the buddhist tradition uh emptiness and wisdom uh, not so much the luminosity, uh, because the luminosity can be associated with both, but the emptiness uh, and and um, and manifestation. The emptiness is the feminine, the manifestation is the masculine. Uh, just in, in the same, you know, in the Taoist sense of the receptive and the active. We talk about wisdom and skillful means, the wisdom as the receptive and the skillful means as the active, feminine and masculine. I think that it's really important. And I was talking um, with another teacher about this. It's really important not to get into feminist and masculine, you know, feminism and masculine, ma masculinity, whatever the words are, but of the, yes. political, the political aspect. Right or the physical um, aspect of the species. It's right. the quality of energy that we, we associate these qualities with, but not to generalize and stereotype. It's really important not to stereotype. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look at that when I review this, maybe. Is this still being recorded, Andy? Yeah, so, because um, uh, I'm not 100% clear on that, and I know my mind will keep going back to that and trying to, you know, uh, pigeonhole it or, or, you know, stereotype it, because yeah. it's so similar, the emptiness, it, and the femininity and the uh, like that but um um yeah so that gets me going in the right direction good that's good yeah. so so um the uh yeah it, it's really important not to solidify okay yep thank you You're welcome. And I put in the text, Linda asked about a book on the life of Padmasambhava that I can recommend. And one is Cra Crazy Wisdom by Chagyam Trungpa. So I put that in the uh, general. Okay, everybody. It's been swell. Thank you. And see you again soon. Monday night. I hope to be there Monday night, along with Andrew. Take care.